You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. Belly up to my bar and chat with my friend Mike Sando and I on today's Locked On NFL podcast. Um, I touched on it yesterday. The news had just broke of the craziness going on behind the scenes from the Jets front office. And Mike has taken it a step further and did some research. And we're going to really dig into GMs today. Can can you kind of preface us on what you did here? I mean, you kind of took the bull by the horns. I love it. Taking things over. Well, you know, I like to research things. Uh, and so when McKagan was fired, the first thing I noticed was his... Uh, his record as GM win percent was the same as John Idzik. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do the win percent for every GM who's currently a GM. So, you know, you, yeah. a couple cases, you got Bill Belichick or, you know, that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, we got, we got him one through, well, not one through 32 because Eric Costa, Mike Mayock, Adam Gase, if he stays GM, haven't played a game, but we got one through what about 29. Yeah. And let, let's get to that in a minute, but I want to get your take on the New York situation. And, I'm a I'm an Adam Gase believer. I kind of felt like he wasn't given the proper tools to do his work in Miami, and it's clear that he's the um, the favorite of the two. And McKagan's gone. Uh, he goes away and he goes and trades Lee to the Kansas City. His first day on the job as GM, and I do think he'll probably be an interim guy. But I think the Lev Bell situation all of a sudden got a little hairy. That's a little odd. And does it shock you the timing of the firing? I mean, they let McKagan be, you know, the draft and free agency and all that. I mean, does that surprise you at all? No. When I have conversations, so I have a lot of conversations with personnel people who we go through the whole league every week because these guys want GM jobs. So we're always looking at, hey, what ones could come open, you know? Yeah. And so we always sort of have a list. In fact, I have a, a... a candidate today sent me a list. He's like, uh, okay, I think these teams, you know, depending on what happens this year, could, could open because um, these are coveted jobs, right? So if you had asked me, in fact, we'd ask each other, all right, who could be the post-draft surprise? Because the last few years you've had Doug Whaley, you know, from the Bills after the draft or John Dorsey after the draft in Kansas City or Dave Gettleman after the draft in Carolina. This is a thing now. So um, if you would have asked me, hey, name three teams, um, that could change after the draft, the Jets would have been clearly on the list. And all you're looking at is, hey, has the GM been there a while? Has he not done well recently? And is there a new coach? Yeah. So whether it's a place like Arizona, a place like the Jets, you're not predicting it's going to happen. You're not betting it's going to happen. But when it happens, you're not shocked that it happened. That's where it would happen. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, I've told our listeners this before, and trust me, I found out firsthand that People in front office, scouts, their contracts, not that he had a one-year deal, but their contracts run, like, I was hired the day after the Browns selected Kellen Winslow, and I was let go the day after we took Braylon Edwards. So, it's not like they're, they they turn the first of the year. I mean, their contracts are this time of year, and that's when you make personnel or scouting changes. A lot of the time it is. Most of the time, this time of year is the staff. Most of the time when the GM gets fired, the top guy it'll be, uh, you know, more when the coaches are after mm-hmm. the season. And then what happens is after the draft, the new GM a lot of times brings in his own staff. Right. Uh, that's what happened to me. Right. That's what often happens. So it's, it is unusual for the GM to change now. Um, you know, I wasn't waking up on Monday saying, hey, what, look out for McKagan this week. But, 
you know, in those, it does happen. It seems like not maybe not quite one a year, but you know, the last few years it's been close to one a year. Yeah, I guess you're right about that. Um, do you think the Bell situation gets sticky? I mean, you wouldn't love hearing that after uh, if you're in Bell's shoes and he's kind of a volatile guy to begin with. Oh yeah, absolutely. See, so when I was going into free agency, I kept asking people who's going to sign Lev Bell. And people would say the Jets, and my first thought was, yeah, but that's not that's not a great fit for Gase. I mean, Adam Gase has chased off the guys who um, are bigger than the team, either through their contracts or their attitude or whatever. And Lev Bell, just for the way that it ended in Pittsburgh and the amount of money he was going to command, and the fact that he was a running back, I just didn't see that as something Gase would go after. So I would always qualify that. Hey, yeah, the Jets are the favorite team get him, but I don't know how great the fit is. Well, now the way this has played out, you can totally see that that wasn't a move that Gase would have been pushing for, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it could get sticky. I think it was going to get sticky maybe anyway. It, it all depends on how, uh, you know, what Bell's approach is um, to the season because Adam Gase really wanted, um, you know, the, the sort of loyal soldiers in Miami, and he was willing to chase off guys who weren't necessarily bad guys, but sort of walked to their own drummer a little bit, in his view. Jarvis Landry, those type of guys, huh? Yeah, you got rid of Sue, too. Yeah, know? yeah, right. And, and the, the real, not the analytics people, but the real film-driven people really believe Gase is a, okay, I don't need the biggest, fastest guy out there. I need you to be here when the ball is snapped. I need you to know your job. I want Danny Amendola. Um, Albert Wilson, I don't need the most talented receiving core or skill guys in the world. I need you to follow my scheme and kind of do your job to steal from Belichick. Yep, I, I agree. And, you know, we'll see if that works. I mean, I think you need stars, too, to win in the NFL. Yeah, and I don't know that Bell still is a star. I mean, it's been so long since we saw him. And I've been saying this in Pittsburgh for so long, too, that... His last season as a regular contributor, I thought he took a step backwards, and now he's sitting an entire year, and supposedly there's been weight issues, and it's noteworthy that we're all talking, yay, Lev Bell's going to minicamp. Like, he just signed a monster deal. I mean, why is this newsworthy? He hasn't been a football player for a long time. I, I don't know that this ends well. Right. Well, I, I agree that this isn't a, this is a bad situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, right. It. Um, um, so, yeah, yeah it, it is. And you got him now. You're not going to trade him. You're not going to cut him. I mean, he's your guy. Um, let's take a quick break and then I want to get into what you did. I mean, some good Jets talk there, but let's talk about the other GMs because you really did a, a cool thing here. We'll be back here in a moment. All right, Mike, why don't you take it from here and tell people exactly what you did? I'm looking at the spreadsheet and it's very impressive. Okay, so I just took every GM or de facto GM in the league. So if you want to visualize our little spreadsheet, you get the name of the GM, you get the team, you got the year that he was hired. So like for Belichick, it's 2000, right? We've got his one loss and win loss percentage. And we got where that ranks among the current GMs. And so um, I thought it would be instructive to go through the list from, we go, let's, let's go best to worst records. And then and in the end, those worst record guys are the guys that you could be, you know, in some cases, they could be on the rocks a little bit. Um, okay. Real quick, though, there's one more column, and I just wanted to ask you about that, too, while I have your attention, is win yeah. percentage rank in NFL since they yeah. took over. So 
if someone took over in 2000, that's their win percentage, not against these other 31 guys, but against the rest of the league since they've been involved, right? Yes. Okay. So, like, that's very telling you know, to me. Yeah, yeah, So exactly. So you can see sometimes there's a difference. You know, Belichick's number one in both, but, like, uh, you could be you could have the second best record as a couple of these guys do um, among the current GMs, but it might only be fifth or sixth best since you got the job in the league overall against all the teams. And know? a couple so, of them only have a year or two a body of work, so it's not quite yep. telling, right? You know. Yep. Yeah, let's go yeah, through some of these. These are great. Okay, so Bill Belichick hired in two thousand. He's two twenty five and seventy nine. That's a seventy four percent win rate. That's unbelievable. Number one. Among GMs, we'll do these in the order of uh, you know the records among each other. So he's number one, and it's he's not even going close, some- by the way. No, <laughs> he's he's number one, and he's only going somewhere if he retires, right? I mean, he's got the ultimate job security. So, um, yes, we got him at number one. No shock there. Um, the question there is just: Are they down to the last year with Brady? You know, being able to do this, and we've been saying that for three years. So. Um, we'll see. Tied for number two, if you asked people, hey, which GMs are tied for number two in winning percentage, you wouldn't come up with these two, probably, unless you said the next two guys, probably. Yeah, after that. But part of this is a function of they were hired recently. So tied for the number two spot with a 69% win percentage are Brett Veach of the Chiefs and Brian Gain of the Texans. And in both cases, these guys came on to their jobs uh, without hiring a new head coach. There was already a head coach who'd had some success there. Um, you know, and there were already, uh, well, there wasn't already the quarterback in Brett Veach's case. I was saying Veach's case, so he was in- instrumental with the Mahomes move where Gain inherited Watson. Yeah, and, you know, I think we understand that Andy Reid is picking groceries there too in Kansas City, but... This is all, these things are all about partnerships. And Andy Reid's not doing all the personnel work. You know, Brett Veach is heading that up. And I think that partnership is so important. And the head coaches are so important that in a lot of cases, teams are hiring the GM to fit with the head coach, as opposed to hiring the GM who then picks the head coach. And you can see that's happening with the Jets. So uh, Brett Veach is somebody who they think fits really well with Andy Reid. And, you know, I think as long as Pat Mahomes is there, that fit's going to look pretty good. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, not that Veach isn't deserving of credit, but uh, him and Gain in particular kind of fall into this thing, and it's a small body of work, and, you know, but, yeah, it's sort of but artificial. It's, it's really important those guys get along. And remember what we were hearing before out of Houston was questions about how well Bill O'Brien was getting along with the GM. And it doesn't feel like we're hearing that as much, so... Um, only one year for Brian Gain, only a couple years for Brett Veach, but so far, so good. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're tied for number two. Uh, real quick, now, though, I want to ask you a quick question, because Mike Lombardi says this a lot, and I think he's dead on, that in the world of the NFL, the head coach might be the most underpaid job in the league, because, you know, if you look at a guy like, well, Belichick's a perfect example, but, like, look at a Fortune 500 company, and whoever the guy is that's most in charge of IBM or Apple or whoever, they make a heck of a lot more than Mike Tomlin. You know what I mean? Like, they make a yeah. heck of a lot more than Harbaugh, where, kind of like you're saying, where coach GM is so important, but I think now more than ever, coach is of the utmost important, and shouldn't they be making $25 million a year? 
Well, uh, yeah, they probably should, but you only make what you can get, right? So the owners have it set up to where uh, those guys can't just leave and become CEO of another company, right? There's only 32, <laughs> right. There's only 32. Um, and I, I, mean, I always joke that, you know, head coaches and quarterbacks are the two most important things and no one knows how to hire either one, you know? And, and so <laughs> right, there's, right. There's, a, there's a lot of mystery in football as to what actually, you know, people who really know football don't really always agree on what wins and loses the games. So the owners have no idea in, in a lot of the cases. So, um, you know, they don't always know who to hire, why to hire them. Uh, they're not football experts. And even if you are a football expert, it's a hard game, 22 moving parts. You know, it's hard to always know exactly what to do. Everyone knows they want Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, but beyond that. And, and of course, owners are fickle and not patient. Yep. And the season's only 16 games long. It's not 160. So your quarterback gets hurt for two months and you're fired, you know? <laughs> The percentage of moves that are made for the right reasons in the NFL is a lot lower than um, <laughs> you know people probably thinking that when we analyze you know, hey, you know analyze what teams did this offseason, you have to understand that they're not all playing with the same deck. You know, some of these owners can't so don't let them spend as much or whatever. You know, they're not all just a blank check, uh, letting the coach and the GM do exactly what they want, and so that's why the mesh of these positions is so important. And in those cases, Brian. Game Brett Beach so far so good. Number four on our list um, now, as you pointed out, it's Kevin Colbert, GM of the Steelers. Now he officially got the GM title in 2010. That's what I went with. He's obviously been there, been an important decision maker longer than that. But if we just make it since he was named the GM, 2010, he's won 66% of his games. That is number four among current GMs, but number two in the league if you just compare it against all the other teams behind only New England. So. Uh, while it feels like they're on the rocks a little bit, um, it's been a good run. Yeah, and again, I get too much heat for this being a Steelers show, but one thing I often say on the air here in Pittsburgh is if the Patriots are just so damn good, if it wasn't for them, the Steelers might be the best organization in the league in this generation. I mean, they might be number one. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, look look at the 1970s. I mean, the Dolphins, the Steelers the Raiders, I mean, you know, the Vikings, the, the Chiefs were good. I mean, it, it's, it was hard to win, and there's only 10 Super Bowls in the 70s or whatever, right? You know, so and, and good you, luck winning those. <laughs> if you talk to my dad or my uncle or somebody like that, they'll say, boy, the, those Oiler teams were awesome, but they happened to yeah. be behind the Steelers. You know, I mean, that's yeah, kind of where that, the Steelers have been with the Patriots. I think the, I think the Raiders would have won, you know, yeah. if you take away the Steelers, how many do the Raiders win? Four? You know, they're, right, they're that right. team. But Absolutely. you can't take away the Steelers, so. And you can't take away the Patriots. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So you're number two to the best team ever. Yep. So Steelers number four. Number five is um, the GM was hired the same year that we that we started Colbert's run in 2010. And that's John Schneider. And I think that's a perfect example of they hired Pete Carroll first. And then they looked for somebody who would work well with Pete. And you know what? Pete has the final say in all this. But John Schneider was the driving force in getting Russell Wilson. Pete Carroll was seven and nine in his first two seasons, and then they went with Russell Wilson, and it's all been great since then. Not just because of Russell, they have they've had great defense, but John Schneider contributions are huge, and getting the players to fit what Pete wants to do, it's just a great marriage. Yeah, we talked about my area of the country in Pittsburgh. This is your area of the country, and it seems to me as an outsider that these two teams, but especially Seattle, really exemplifies the meshing and the yin and the yang, yin and yang of coach and GM. Yep. No, I think it does. I think they've got a great partnership. Both of them have a good sense of humor. 
uh, you know, don't take themselves too seriously um, uh, on stuff. And also a clear vision. I think Pete brings a clear vision to how he wants to play, uh, what types of players he wants. Uh, and that makes it easier for the GM to know what we need to go get. Um, so good, good fit there. They've had great ownership. Paul Allen passed away. His sister is heading up the ownership now. Um, pretty good situation. You know, they check a lot of boxes there between the owner, the GM, the head coach, the quarterback. They sort of got it all. Yeah, this next one on the list kind of surprises me, but the three after do not at all. Yeah, the next one's John Elway with the Broncos. Uh, 61% wins, um, 78 and 50. That's sixth best among the GMs, fifth best in the league. And, you know, he's the reason they got Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning's the reason he's this high on the list. So, (laughs) you know, know, I, I think there's an interesting analysis to be done on Denver because of... Um, you know, he, how much do you give John Elway credit for the sort of Von Miller draft? You know, when I believe there were still other people there that whether or not they had the final say, you know, may have been really heavily involved in those decisions. And have they been as successful lately in the draft? Um, it's been a little more hit and miss. Yeah, and he's been under a lot of scrutiny, obviously, for the, the Osweiler quarterback situation, Lynch, and rightfully so. And he's a quarterback, so it's going to be exemplified. But look at his last year's rookie class. I mean, Philip Lindsay, Chubb. I mean, he hasn't done a bad job, and I think he's he's, he's done a nice job bringing in talent this past off season, um, his most recent one. I also think it's interesting, though. Like you said, winning's hard in the NFL. People don't realize it. I mean, he's sixth on the list, and he wins six out of ten games. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, <laughs> six out of ten games. He's built a good defense, and on the quarterback front, I mean, I hold Paxton Lynch against him. Okay, yeah. I mean, Brock Osweiler's a second round pick was a panned out better than most, right? I mean, do you want Hackenberg? You right. know what I mean? I mean, he plays, so, he's still in the league. He was, but Brock Osweiler played decent enough football for that team to get to the Super Bowl, and then, by the way, another team was willing to pay him huge in the market. And Denver, if he would have stayed in Denver, they might have had a winning year with him. I mean, he, he might have fit better with them. He, instead, he goes and, you know, all eyes are on him getting that money with Houston, but he got a second contract from another team at the top of the market or near it uh, as a second round pick. That's not, I'm not laughing at John Elway for that. I mean, he did better than most people in the second round of the quarterback. The Paxton Lynch one is tough. Yeah. I mean, if Drew Locke has the same career as Osweiler, are we going to say, boy, that was a horrible pick. He's a bum. No. Yes. People will say that because they will hold it against John Elway. They don't know how fair it would be. Yeah. 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 I, I see what you're saying. Let's run through these next couple because I think they're the obvious ones and then maybe take a break and talk about the ones that are not so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, seventh on the list, Thomas Dimitrov. You know, I I think, you know, for the most part, they've done a pretty solid job and they've had they had the quarterback. uh, But you know what? He got the quarterback, right? He's been the GM since 2018. So he didn't overthink it. They took Matt Ryan. Howie Roseman is next with the Eagles. And we are starting the clock on him in 2015. He was there. He's been there a while, but uh, uh, 36 and 28. He is tied with Mickey Loomis, John Robinson, and Marty Herney uh, at eighth place, 56%. And I guess, you know, the thing of this, Matt, that stood out to me was, wow, Mickey Loomis has been the Saints GM since 2002. Yeah. And, you know, Sean Payton's the face of it, but that's a long time. 153 you know, wins. It, yeah, 153 and 119. I mean, I started to think if what if if he did 10 more years as the GM and they won a Super Bowl, would people be talking about Mickey Loomis for Hall of Fame? I don't think anyone ever talks about him at all. 
Yeah, it's always the Peyton uh, Breeze era. No one ever brings him up. Yeah, so, so you know, should they, should they not? It's just, you know, the record is what it is. So um, uh, I thought that was an interesting one. No doubt. Uh, two I want to mention here before we take a break is Roseman is kind of a small sample size. I mean, he's 36 and 28. But my, I'll, I'll put a chip down on him to stay in that neighborhood or maybe even increase in 10 yep. years from now. I think he could be, you know, one or two on that list. I, I think they really have a good thing going. And then one that's interesting here is I think he's the only owner on here because he's the longest tenured is Jerry Jones at 262 and 218. <laughs> I mean, he is the right choice. I mean, you got to put him here. Yeah, yeah, he's the GM. In fact, we've got Mike Brown on there, too, from the Bengals oh, as the right. GM. So, um, yeah, yep, that's just – I tell you, we, ESPN keeps a list of who the GMs are, and I sort of just I, – I used their dates just to have something independent. But, um, that, yep, we got a couple owners on there, too. Yeah, I mean, Jerry's running the show. Um, quick break here. We'll come back and talk about the dudes that haven't fared so well. And as you can guess, they're not going to have quite as long a tenure in general, except for that one owner we just mentioned from Cincinnati. We'll be right back. All right, Mike, there's some dudes here that are winning about three out of ten games, four out of ten games. It's not so great. Yeah, you want to start at the bottom? Yeah, let's now work our way up. So there are three GMs who have won 31%, and... That's Dave Caldwell with Jacksonville, 30 and 66. It's John Lynch with the 49ers, 10 and 22. And Dave Gettleman with the Giants, only one year, 5 and 11. Um, certainly he's been under a lot of scrutiny, but one year for a GM, not much That's of a record harsh. to go on. But, right. um, yeah, so those three are there. And I think, you know, as far as Caldwell, just the owner's been uh, – it's not like the owner's detached, but, I mean, I think they've, they've been patient in a way that – um, you know, I generally like patients. Um, what do you think about him being the GM since 2013? Certainly hitching the wagon to Blake Wardles was not, not um, you know, that set him back. Really only one good year, too. And maybe I am a little rough on him because I looked at that Jags team that was good, you know, two years ago. And I thought they were overrated for one, for one, for first of all. And I thought they would come back to the mean this year, and I was right. But I'm not sure I couldn't create a playoff team if you give me a top five pick, what eight years in a row, the most cap yeah. space in the league. <laughs> you know, like he had every wild card and ace for like two or three off seasons, and turned it into one Final Four appearance, and now they're back. You know, like I didn't think that was that hard. Yeah, the top five picks, you know, they've, they've hit on a couple, but, uh, you know, there's been a bunch that weren't that great. And, you know, Dante Fowler does an ACL before he plays a game. That, that's a tough, that's tough, you know. Maybe mm-hmm. he would have been uh, what they needed. And maybe Tom Coughlin's driving a decision now um, to get Leonard Fournette in the top five or whatever. So there's a couple of asterisks there, you know. But to me, the number one takeaway is they were Bortles believers, and that was the wrong decision that affected their whole team. Yes. Because since taking Bortles, they had opportunities to take other quarterbacks, right? But they were they wanted to stick with Bortles. I mean, there was one year, uh, this was before Caldwell. Before Caldwell, I believe they took the punter in the third round instead of Russell Wilson. That's before <laughs> yeah. Caldwell. Yes. The, um, that's before Caldwell. But, but you know, they, there were other chances to take guys. And you, when you look at the guys at the top of this list GM-wise, 
you know, Kansas City wasn't afraid to go up and get Mahomes. You know, Houston wasn't afraid to get Watson, right? Philly, uh, Rams, um, right. Seattle wasn't afraid to take Russell Wilson when you'd already just paid Matt Flynn, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, John Elway, of course, everybody wanted Peyton Manning, but he went and got Peyton Manning. I mean, there was nervous days when they were going to go get him. So, uh, you know, Roseman wasn't afraid to go get the quarterback, um, you know, and Carson Wentz. Mickey Loomis, they weren't afraid to go get Drew Brees, right? I mean, over and over at the top of that list are guys who took chances or made aggressive, proactive moves to get quarterbacks that weren't necessarily going to fall to them or, or you already had one that you could have said was your guy, right? And I think in Jacksonville's case, they just hitched the wagon to Bortles and didn't even try to get good backups. And, and to take and it a step, the record is. and to take it a step further, and this kind of reminds me of the Giants this year, when they did take Bortles, Mel, Todd, and all the people that are draft nicks out there didn't have him ranked as the top quarterback either. You know, like, and yeah. you know, he went really early. It's kind of like a Daniel Jones situation. Like, you better hit on that guy. You know, like when the Raiders took yep. Jamarcus Russell. None of us went, boy, that's a terrible pick. It didn't work out, but consensus yeah. was he was the first overall pick. Where Bortles, Jones, all I know it's media-driven, but immediately you're in a hole that you took the wrong guy to begin with. Yep. Yep, and so look at the... So as these three bottom guys, you know, Caldwell, Lynch, Gettleman, um, you know, Lynch did make a proactive move to get Garoppolo, and we'll see if that works out. I think it's too early to say, but he, you know, missed on Ruben Foster. It looks like Solomon Thomas wasn't a great pick. They're sort of had this offseason's almost a redo of that first draft. So, you know, there's some questions there. And, and with Gettleman, had the chance to take Darnold and didn't took the back. Now, Daniel Jones may be a fine player, so we don't know. It's only one year. But those are, you know, those are the three bottom guys. They didn't you know, get Russell Wilson or Pat Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, right? Uh, now, Garoppolo is the, and Jones may still be good, but those teams haven't had the luck or, or haven't mm-hmm. had the vision at that position yet. Um, above that, we go to Jason Light at 34% with Tampa, and they, you know, hitched their wagon basically to Jameis Winston. And I don't necessarily have a huge huge problem with that. I mean, it was either Winston or Mariota, and and it was probably fairly well split over who you should take, right? Yeah, I don't think anybody batted an eye at that one. It wasn't like the Jones or Bortles pick. But what I would say there is, you know, this is a classic example of, you know, ownership's a big part of this too, and Jason Light has been, you know, you deal with those owners, they may just decide to fire Lovey Smith after, you know, quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, things happen there sometimes for the wrong reasons. I think as a GM, they have been more reactive than proactive in building their team sometimes. And it has felt like a year to year patch sometimes. Um, and that's hard to pull yourself out of if you're not right on the quarterback too. So we're going to find out. I think the good thing is this year we're going to, with Bruce Arians, you're going to find out whether Winston's good. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, I think it will be very telling I think it's interesting, too, that we kind of mentioned this earlier. Not all organizations are created equal. I mean, like, there's... Not that winning isn't important to all of them, but let's just say it's a lot harder to win in some environments than others. And I think it's telling that Light and Caldwell have combined to lose 119 games 
and still have their jobs. And I think it's safe to say that if we were ranking organizations, Tampa and especially Jacksonville would be near the bottom in terms of chances of winning it all or building something. Yeah, you would think that, but I thought that Jacksonville provided the resources and the stability. They, they haven't been changing coaches every, yeah. every year, you know? And so I, I think they need, yeah, you can't, their culture is definitely a question. So you're right. I mean, if your culture is a question, where does that start? You know, and I think their culture is a big question right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, maybe Nick Foles can help improve that. So uh, above Jason Light, 38% for John Dorsey took over with the final four games 2017. 7-8-1 last year. To me, that's totally an incomplete grade. I mean, I, I just – Absolutely. I, I think his ranking is somewhat irrelevant. So – um, above that, Ryan Pace, who went, you know, he was 14 and 34. Now he's 26 and 38. He's at, he's at 41% tied with the one year, uh, Brian Gutenkunst in Green Bay after only one season, six, nine and one. What do you think of Pace? Do you think he saved it? Do you think he's going to be fine now? I kind of think he might be. Yeah. I was about to say, I think Arrow's pointing up on Pace. You know, they've built a very formidable roster, um, aggressive off seasons, trading for Mac, but if Trubisky turns into Bortles, we may be having a different conversation two years from now when he's at the bottom. Yeah, he could be. I just feel like with Matt Nagy there, um, you, you know, you've got a chance with him. I think uh, what we're going to find out is, does that defense, you know, without Vic Fangio, maybe just it's just a different year, if that defense goes to number 12 in the league, I'm not saying they are, but if they did, is that quarterback good enough to lead the offense to score enough points, you know, um, on a consistent basis? Maybe, might be. I think there's a chance. I don't, I'm not willing to say Trubisky's terrible, but I'm also not willing to, you know, say he's going to be great. And I think with that coach, you've got a chance for him to be good enough. Yeah. Uh, there's two more in the middle I just wanted to end with here. Chris Ballard, he hasn't been doing it long. He's only 14 and 18. Kind of like I talked about with the Eagles. I'll put a chip on him to keep rising, rising, rising. And then the other one I wanted to mention was the Rams, Les Snead. He's only 18th, but you kind of have to remember, he's been doing this with the Rams since 2012. So there's almost two different stories there with him. There there are two different stories. I was thinking of this. So he's 55, 56, and 1. If they go 2-0, and oh, Snead, you know, winning winning record there with the Rams. Um, you know, there, he was there when Jeff Fisher was there, and Jeff Fisher was – was buying a lot, a lot of the groceries too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Jeff Fisher was, was, and then they had really the catastrophic back-to-back knee injuries for, for, for Sam Bradford, who wasn't going to be a great player, but would have been better at quarterback than what they had. So I think that really set them back. Um, I didn't have a problem with them. You know, they drafted Sam Bradford before Les Snead was the GM, but if you're if you're less neat coming in, you're going to give Bradford every chance for a couple of years, right? I mean, I, I think that made sense. He just couldn't do it from a health standpoint. They had to start over from square one at quarterback, and it looks like now with the coach quarterback combination, they're going to have a chance at least to be competitive. Yeah, and are you with me on the Colts being? You know, oh yeah, you're buying stock there, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I mean, to me, Ballard won me over when they lost uh, Josh McDaniels. Yes. Go watch the press conference from how he handled that. I mean, when you watch, that should be shown to every leadership seminar. That's how you're you do it. And I just I just feel like Ballard knows who he is, going to do things a certain way. It's going to be the right way, and um, you know the the long game. He's going to win the long 
long game. Now, he's got Andrew Luck, who's healthy again. So that's a great way to play the long game, right? Build it the right way because you've got that guy as insurance against being really bad and keeping the owner off your back because you're going to have a good enough record. But I think he's handled that really well um, there and has made good moves, you know, getting those picks in the Darnold trade, um, you know, a good move back with Washington uh, this year. Another team that's kind of desperate trying to get a quarterback. Nicely played. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike, this was a blast. Thank you for putting this together. Um, folks, if we didn't mention a GM you want to hear, drop us a line on Twitter, and I can tell you their, their, their uh, win percentage. But that means they're right in the middle, basically. We talked about the high ends and the low ends. And this was pretty telling. This was a fun thing, and it's, it's kind of I, – I loved it. Thanks so much. I'm going to have the Locked On Jets folks on tomorrow. So we're going to talk even more about that mess going on. So that's a wrap. Thanks so much. Leave us a note on iTunes. Over and out.